1 Corinthians, we've been looking at the supernatural nature of what we possess in Christ. The problem with the Corinthians is that they had begun trusting Christ as their Savior. Then, like the Galatians, had gone back to thinking they had to handle the Christian life by their experience, by worldly ways. This is just the way things are done. You've heard it before. You want to be so heavenly-minded that you're no earthly good, right? Well, I don't know what some people mean by that, but that's actually never happened, that you're so focused on the Lord that you can't function here on earth. No, those are the people that actually get things done. And the reason this message from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, in chapter 2 we saw supernatural, chapter 1, supernatural salvation, chapter 2, supernatural wisdom, chapter 3, supernatural ministry. That is the ministry of the local church. Now, he said in the first chapter, I'm writing this to everybody that, that calls Jesus Christ their Lord. This includes everybody. Saints by calling. He's writing in particular to the church at Corinth, the local church at Corinth, but the application is for any local church that will submit itself to the word and ministry of Jesus Christ. So we look this morning at the supernatural ministry of the local church. Local church is a representation of God's family, it's God's field, it's God's building. Ephesians chapter 2, he said, you know, you're, you're, God, you're a temple. Jesus Christ is the, is the cornerstone, foundation stones of the apostles, and you are living stones. God is building his bride. Let's pray. Father, I pray that I might be spirit-filled, that each one of us might be spirit-filled listeners. Lord, that we might be challenged, encouraged, and Lord, even convicted. If there's one here that does not know Jesus, that this morning you would draw them to yourself. They might find you as their shepherd. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So in verses 1 through 4, we see God's family. Now he's writing because they have this problem of faction. Now there's a lot of reasons for faction. There's sin in the church with all kinds of immorality there is pride, there is uh, wrong doctrine. Some of them were going to get to the end and some of them were starting to teach, well, resurrection is not true. We're just doing this because it's good for us. And Paul says there, if the resurrection is not true, then we're dead and that's all the hope there is and we are of all men most miserable. Of course the resurrection's true. But where you find God blessing, you're always going to see the rabble sneak in too. There was a mixed multitude that went out of Egypt, right? They saw the miracles. Oh, that's a good deal. We'll just go with those guys. And we saw them falling by the wayside all through the 40 years in the wilderness. So Paul hits head on because he says, you're God's family. Now, the purpose of the church family is not so you can come and be a spectator. The children that are born in your home are not just there to spectate how you and your wife do. They're not there so they can, you know, call on your marriage. Now, they'll do that, and they'll, be, they'll begin to be a reflection of who you and your wife are. That's no doubt, because more is caught than is taught. But their purpose, the reason you are parents in this family, is to feed those children and watch them grow to be strong, standing on their own two feet, adults, right? Same purpose for the church. It's not so you can be a spectator. And just call out how the deacons and elders are doing and, and what you like and what you don't like. The problem in America is we've, we've begun to 
be this uh, kind of uh, consumers. And so we're just kind of looking for something that we feel good about. Now, last chapter we saw you ought to be discerning so you don't go to a church that doesn't stand on the word of God and their people practice the word of God because you can't hardly look at a church doctrinal statement and say, well, that's a good statement. But the, the, the proof is, are the people living it out? Is the whole counsel of God actually being taught and applied to people's lives? Because we live in a day and age, people are looking for a certain style. So you get to church and the worship is playing and nobody's singing. Maybe you were that way this morning. Maybe the, these songs are new to you. That's okay. But eventually, church isn't so that we can have really good musicians and they can sing really nice songs and you just show up for the entertainment. No, no. It's to encourage you to come together and voice your worship to God also. But in that vein, churches then, they say, well, you know, what kind of target are we looking for? Are we looking for the Harley crowd? Are we looking for the rich people crowd, the down and out crowd? So let's get a music style that they'll kind of like. That is so opposite. What it's supposed to be is singing in a manner that reflects the culture of those Christians, not the world, the Christians that are in that church. Now, is style important? No. Style's not that important. And yet you have churches that, well, we have this kind of style in the morning, and then later on, you know, after the old people are tired, then we, then we bring in the really, you know, cutting-edge music, and we can really worship to that. That is just so silly. But it shows you. Uh, I don't know it was Babylon B, but sometime I remember seeing some little fake commercials that talked about how do we get people to come to church? And people say, hey, we'll wash your car for you. I said, well, will you change my oil? Well, sure, we'll change your oil, too. And all these things, we'll get you tickets to the ball game. You come to church, you know, it's going to pay off. And then some little kid says, I want a pony. And they start saying, well, you know, that's going a little too far. Oh, okay, we'll get you a pony. That is not the mess of the church, what we can do for you by meeting your fleshly needs. But it's no wonder that churches are filled with all kinds of problems and attitudes because they thought, well, the church is supposed to make me happy. It's supposed to affirm me and just kind of encourage me who I am. Tell me, you can do it. Not the purpose of the church. The purpose of the church is to teach truth and hold up truth. It is the foundation of the truth and support the truth. And Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone and everything we do comes off of him. In the old days, they didn't have all the transoms and all the things that we can use for building, and so they would get a cornerstone, and they would set that cornerstone, and it had to be exactly right. You look at the pyramids, you wonder, how in the world did they do that? Well, they started with a cornerstone, and then everything up and out comes off that cornerstone. We read that this morning when it said that the cornerstone... The builders disallowed. You see, the Pharisees and leaders in Israel, they thought, well, we're the ones building. We're the ones that are responsible for what's in and what's out. We'll decide. And Jesus comes along and they say, oh, no, 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 no. That, that one there? No, no, that's not what we want our, our religion to look like. So they sat that aside, but God chose them to be the chief cornerstone. Did you hear what the people said? It said there in Matthew, when, the, when everyone saw, when the Pharisees saw the wonderful things that Jesus was doing, they were indignant. That's not matching up to where we want to go with this thing. Same thing can happen to us. We can get comfortable. 
Maybe God moves you someplace else, and you look around, and you find a church that's teaching the word, but it's, it's just not as cool as you think it ought to be. I mean, we're gonna, people are going to think if they hear you go to that church. The truth is being taught, but it's not, it's, you know, it's, oh, it's just, you know, it's just not that cool. Pastor doesn't know how to wear good suits, you know, and just, you know. The standard is the truth being taught. Are you going to grow there? Well, they don't have all the cool ministries. Like Maybe God wants to bring you there so you can bring ministry there and help that church in that area. It's like John Kennedy said, don't ask what this country can do for you. Ask what you can do for the country. The same thing is true in church. You have giftedness. How are you building the church? These people thought, listen, we need to be the critics to decide who's the good teacher and who's not the good teacher. And they had faction over that. Who was for Paul? Who was for Peter? And Paul brings one conclusion. You need to grow up. You know, he didn't come oh, you know, we just need to grow a little more. He said, no, you're, you're like babies. You should be eating meat by now. And you're struggling over who you like best as the teacher? You need to grow up. I fed you the milk. Just like you do babies, you come to your house. You feed them milk. But you hope when they're 12, they're not still sucking on a bottle. It's an exciting thing. I know grandpas like doing this. I like doing this. You know, giving the babies the taste of the next level of food. And it might be ice cream, and their eyes light up. Oh, yeah, we like that. Or it might be a pickle. Ooh, ooh, they give the faces. They just, you love it, you know. Grandpas are good for that. They like to just expand the palate. But it's natural. They should be wanting more things. I know our granddaughter, Penny, she doesn't like to try anything. You know, she's like, no, you try to hand her something. No, I'm good. No, I don't try that. Then eventually she gets a taste of it. She's like, oh, hey, that was good. Paul said, you need to grow up. The proof that you're immature is faction and your pride and your critical spirit. You ought to be thankful for every bitter thing that's taught from the word of God. Good lesson for me at Bible college. I'd go to chapel. We had chapel every day. I'd spent time in the army. And uh, so, you know, I thought I had some experience. And they send some of these guys in to preach. They were pastoring some little old church out there. Um, and they come in and their, their clothes weren't exactly in style. And, you know, I had my attitude. I was in the honor guard. I knew you how to. You ought to know how to shine your shoes, you know, at least where you get up and preach, right? So you can have attitudes. We all have those attitudes, you know. I don't know if I'll listen to this guy or not. And you know what I found? Every single guy that opened the word, every, every single preacher, bless my heart. Bless my heart. And I began to grow and realize, and that's why I've told you before, I like, if I'm going to take our elders or a group of young men someplace to a Bible conference, I want it to go, to go where there's a breadth of, of men coming from different backgrounds so they begin to learn, be discerning about understanding there are godly men in many different denominations. They may not have everything just like you, but they can minister. There's something for them to teach us. And so now I've come to the place of my ministry. I love sitting under the ministry of these young guys that are just starting out. I love being in Bible study with brand new believers. You know why? Because the Holy Spirit's got it. And the Holy Spirit's in them. And they're going to see something scripture. They're going to teach you. 
But Paul said, this idea that you know you've got you're who you are and you've got all this sense of what's good and bad, good and right, and so you should just spread that criticism everywhere. He said, that's just proof of your immaturity. But one says, I am of Paul, another I am of Paulus. Are not, are you not mere men? And what's he saying there? You have the Holy Spirit. You should be more than just fleshly men walking around with your attitudes and all your knowledge and all your pride and all your criticism. You're supposed to be spirit-filled. You're supposed to be able to discern. Now, in Ephesians chapter 4, the Bible says there, when, when we grow up and get mature, we're growing, then we're not blown about by every wind of doctrine. Now, when I was younger, here's the way I took that verse. Well, I know the right doctrine. Young men are good about this. I know the right doctrine. So nothing blows me around. When the truth is, everything blows you out of the water. Somebody believes something a little different. Oh, what's wrong with you? Why can't you see the wisdom that I have, right? But what happens when you mature is I think the real application of that verse is stuff doesn't blow you away. You don't have to get all emotional about things. Say, oh, okay. You believe that? Okay, well, let's go see what the Bible says. Huh, all right. Well, that's your take on that. I don't agree with you, but I love you. Don't have to get blown away by that. Don't have to get all full of attitude and castigate that person and talk about them. And, well, they're just stupid. I wish they'd grow up so they'd be smart as me, right? That's what they were doing in Corinth. And they all thought they were so smart. And you know what they were open to then is false teachers. False teachers begin to see that pride. And they could just feed that pride. And pretty soon you got people just getting on their horse and riding off in all directions. It's a mess. And he says... I expect more out of you because you have the Holy Spirit. Secondly, verses 9 through 11, or excuse me, verses, verses 5 through 8, he said, you're God's field. God's the one that's doing this. Who is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. Yes, God gave them different opportunities. He gave them different giftedness. The word opportunity is actually not there. It's just as he gave to each one of those ministers. Every one of these guys that's called to preach gets up on Sunday night, and they have different styles. Have you noticed that? They're totally different. Now, do they all need to grow? Sure, we all need to get more experience. That's why we're given in this opportunity. And sometimes you find out, you know, that's not your gift. That's okay, too. Then they can get concentrating on what they're supposed to be doing, right? Everybody's not called to have a public speaking gift. That's okay. That's a good thing. But they all have different gifts God gave them because he has different ministries in mind for them. And he said, listen, Paul and Apollos, <coughs> they came. Some sowed, some watered. But God's the one that is calling, causing the growth. Yeah, we looked in our Bible study this week at Mark 4, this same idea of the sower that goes out to sow. And it says, goes on there, and it says, as you get down further in the chapter, it says, the guy sowing the seed, he just throws it out there. He doesn't know how it grows. It just grows. Sometimes we think so smart, we get to thinking we know how God works and exactly what he's going to do. We've got that God figured out. Uh, let me just tell you something. No, you don't. He said that you teach the gospel. You just get the gospel out there. God prepares the soil. You don't know how it grows. God does that. 
So God's the one that should be getting the glory because he's the one causing the growth. That's what Paul's saying. It's not about the teacher. He's called to be faithful. He'll be blessed for his faithfulness in how God has gifted him. But that it grows, that's not him. So quit thinking that somebody won't get saved unless Big Britches number one evangelist shows up. No, no, no. And don't be intimidated that you can't see your friend come to Christ because you're not gifted that way. No, no, it's not about you. Paul said, that's why I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation. Neither one that plants or the one who waters is anything. God causes the growth. Now, he who plants and he who waters are one, but, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. Now, thirdly, verses 9 through 11, we're God's building. He says, we're God's fellow workers. You are God's field. Then he says, you are God's building. He's just giving them some illustrations so they can get objective about the whole thing. That's such a good thing to draw. Maybe you're in a personal relationship. You're uh, dating somebody you shouldn't be dating, and you know they're not a believer, but you're just so in love, you know. And you're sure God's going to use this, but it's not biblical. Therefore, it's not spiritual. So if you can back away from the situation and get objective and say, okay, now, if this was your child... Because, you know, they say, love is blind, but the neighbors ain't. Uh This is your child, and he's making this decision, or she's making this decision. What advice from Scripture? Well, that's different. No, no, it's not different. What advice from Scripture would you give them? Pull yourself out of the situation, and we can do that. We can have the mind of Christ if we're willing to look at everything through the lens of the Word of God. Say, Okay, what does the Bible say? What does it actually say? Now, do I want it to say, what can I read into it? What does the Bible say about this trial, this situation? You see, it's, it's making Jesus Christ the cornerstone, that everything in my life comes off what the Scripture says. It's simple, not easy, but it's simple. We bring it back to the Scriptures. You're God's building. God is building the church. Now, when he says that, he's not talking about you individually as much as he is the church. The local church is God's field. It's God's family. It's God's building. He's the one that's building it. So Paul goes on to say, according to the grace of God, the giftedness that God has given Paul, the authority as an apostle, all that he's poured into Paul, which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation. And another is building on it. It's simple. God used me in the beginning. I laid the foundation. Apollos came along, he's building on the same foundation. And you can check to see that we're the same because it's coming off the same cornerstone. And then he says, there's only one foundation that can be laid, and that's Jesus Christ, himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord. Everything comes back to the cornerstone. And maturity is willing to get over ourself and our own desires and say, okay, what is God doing here? Well, how would God have us to do this? In Ephesians 2, 19, he uses the same example. He says, you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. You're of God's household. That's the family. Then he says, you're a building, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord. You know what we do in a lot of our denominational circles? 
somebody gets some method that happens to get a lot of seats in the seats, you know. And they say, oh, we got to develop that program. Let's write a book. Or somebody writes a book and says, well, we need to turn that into a study. Everybody's out of the study. And we interrupt people from the relationship and churches from the relationship with the Lord because we say, we've got a better idea. Let's go with the program. Instead of saying, somebody says, they come to me, man, and they say, Paul, I remember a fellow came to town. Remember the, there was a group of people that came on a bus, a bunch of young people. They saw our church from Walmart. They're handing out tapes trying to make money. So oh, there's a church. We'll go over there. And they sang for us. It was wonderful. And the choir leader, he walks around because he was a pastor also in L.A. someplace. And he says, whoa, now, so how'd you get this done? I said, we prayed. <laughs> really? So how'd you get it done? I said, no, I'm serious. This building even is a result of our people's praying for God's direction and following him one step at a time. God calls Moses, one of the greatest leaders that ever lived. You know what Moses did? What God told him to. It's that simple. Come in here, Moses. Moses goes in and talks to him. Write this down. Go tell the people this. That's what he did. And he said, now whenever the pillar of uh, the, the uh, glory crowd lifts up from the tabernacle, that means pack up your stuff and follow me. They didn't wander around the wilderness because they couldn't find their way to the promised land. They wandered around the wilderness because God said, you're going to wander around the wilderness, and he's the one moving them, right? Now, Moses would tell the people what God said. Did the people like it? Most of the time, they didn't. There was a lot of times that he was in danger of being stoned because of what God told him to say and the actions that God told him to do. Moses wasn't running around trying to think this stuff up himself. You know, it's like, uh, <clears throat> I'm a great leader. Let me get a big idea for you, God. No, he'd seen God's glory. He knew there was nothing bigger that he could ever imagine than what God wanted to do. So when Moses died and Joshua took over leadership and the people say, hey, listen, we'll tell you, Joshua, you follow the Lord and we're going to follow you just like we follow Moses. That was not really a great encouragement. Because this was a rebellious and obstinate people. That's why God told Joshua, you be courageous. You just stick to the plan and my words. Don't ever let what's coming out of your mouth not be the words of God. That's what he said. So following the Lord isn't you becoming great in your imagination trying to figure out things for God. It's so simple. All you have to do is what God told you to do today. That's what we talked about last week. God speak to us through his word. And when you're your mind and your heart are filled up with God's word and you come to a trial and you pray, he'll bring that word back and those spiritual thoughts back because you have a personal Savior and he will guide you. And other people may understand. They may look at your church, our church, and say, oh, that church is just too dogmatic. It's just not cool enough. We can't go there. That's okay. God builds the church. Maybe that's a protection for us. When somebody comes around, they're checking churches out, we tell them, Maybe, make sure you make a decision. Don't stop here until you're done. We can trust God in that. Because we're not going to try to change things in order to get a hearing with the world. We're not going to try to fluff up our, our, our sermons. And you know, a lot of churches have gone down the wrong road because God blessed them, just like the children of Israel. They got big, they got programs, they got big buildings, they got big building payments. And then they said, like a lot of Christian schools, ooh, 
So-and-so is going to give us some money, but they don't like this part of our doctrine where the Bible says that. Can we just back off a little bit what the Bible says there? No. Remember Dr. Tony Evans, pastor down in Dallas, one of the great, great sermons I've heard on worship. That one time, a fellow came to him and he says, now, Dr. Evans, you know I give a large amount of money to this church, write a big check. And I'm willing to keep doing that, but you need to kind of change this part. I like that part. And Dr. Evans, in his great characteristic style, said, thy checkbook perish with thee. Mm-hmm. Because we don't look to you for provision. You say, well, hold it. I, I tithe. Praise the Lord. That's between you and God. I'm not looking at that. I don't care about that. Now, if, if you begin to suffer financially, I might ask you, are you faithful in your giving to the Lord? Because that's usually the first thing that goes when our heart begins astray, right? But you ought to be glad that the elders don't look at you when it comes to a building project or a missions project. We come to you and say, pray about this and see if God's leading you to join in and we'll find out if this is God or not by how you vote with your giving. But you're never going to see us. Now, listen here. Y'all better start giving. We're going to have an offering. We're going to lock the doors. And nobody's getting out of here until we get... No, we don't do that. We don't say, you know, I'm going to go on a starvation fast till we hit this mark. <laughs> I don't want to do that. That's threatening the people. And there's different ways we can do that. We don't do that. But the question next is... Four, verses 12 through 17. How are you building? Because here he talks about reward and a warning at the end. You see, he really hadn't challenged these people yet. Right now he's just talking about the leadership and how they're building. And you can tell if a, if a leader is building by the stones that he uses and the material he uses for building. Is he building God's way? He said, listen, if a man builds on the foundation... With gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, you have all kinds of opportunities to choose your materials for building. Each man's work will become evident for the day will show it because it's to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. Now, he's talking about the leaders in particular, but when you get to Ephesians chapter 4, those people a little more mature, and he says, you have a responsibility in your own life. How are you gifted? He says there in verses 11 and 12, Ephesians 4, God has given gifted men, the leaders, the teachers in the church, to train up the church so that the church will do the work of the ministry. I remember being a very young man, 30 years old, and one of the old saints, deacon in our church, Rocky Ombe, is with the Lord. He said, wow, I've never heard that before. I thought we hired it done. Right? That's a lot of people. They figure, hey, we got the professionals to do that. No, no, no. In this church, what we're trying to do is challenge and teach each one of us so we each one of us find our ministry and we begin to plug in because that's where you're going to grow. If it's just knowledge and you're not ministering, 1 Corinthians 8 has some information for you. Knowledge puffeth up and pretty soon it's going to pop because any knowledge not ministered turns to pride. Mm -hmm. But love builds up. And it sees that knowledge and the experience they've had in their walk with God as an opportunity to minister to somebody else. So says, listen, you're going to stand before the Lord one day and how you built the church. This isn't just your personal life. This is talking about the church. How were you involved? Did you faithfully minister your giftedness so that church was stronger? 
Ephesians makes the point. Jesus had all the gifts. We don't have all the gifts. God has given to each one of us giftness that we need for the ministries called us to. But together, we are the body of Christ. Every local church becomes the representation of all the giftedness to that community of Jesus Christ. So he's asking the question, what are you using to build? Are you finding the cheap stuff? Stuff that's easy? Your experience? Your great wisdom? Your opinion? Are you building with the word of God? Warren Wiersbe makes the statement as I was studying him on this, that the word is food for the family, it's seed for the field, and it's materials for the temple. Isn't that good? Comes back to the word every single time. He says, listen, one day, your works are going to be tested. You're going to stand before the Lord, and you'll be able to tell where you're using the good stuff. But he's telling the people ahead of time, you can use the good stuff. Yeah, you can use the good stuff now. Choose Christ. Always bring things back to Christ. Then he gives a warning in verse 17. He says, now if any man destroys the temple because there are people coming in and they had seen the opportunity, oh, this thing's going pretty good. There's an opportunity for me here. I've got some things I want to share, and they like the leadership. Moses had the problem. Joshua had the problem. Paul had the problem. It's in every single church. What you want to make sure is that you're not the problem. You know, where you start getting your opinion, you decide, well, you know, I need to reteach everybody. You become the factious man. The Bible says about the factious man, after two rebukes, you can just send him down the road. As a young inexperienced and probably foolish pastor. I remember we had some faction. We had a meeting, and this one guy came in, and, oh, he was just full of belligerence. I said, you better settle down, or I'll remove you. Who's going to remove you? And me and all my youthful exuberance said, this pastor will remove you. He didn't didn't wait for that. He left. He was all mad that somebody would ever confront him. But it wasn't about me. It's about the church. That's what Paul's talking about. So he says to these guys, hey, you think you can come in here and destroy what God's building? He tells them in the next chapter, I'm coming down there. We're going to say what your words are. Is it just words or you really got something behind it because I'm bringing a stick? Doesn't sound like a nice, seeker-sensitive guy, does he? But he was an under-shepherd for the church of God. You want to get the elders and the shepherds in this church upset? Just think you're going to come in and cause faction. Oh, you look at the Old Testament shepherd. He was so kind and gentle with his sheep. You let a wolf come in. You know, you've been someplace 32 years. You know what a wolf looks like, talks like, and smells like. And you know what a wolf eats? They eat sheep. And we'll send them packing. Now, in 1 Thessalonians 5, it says that's every one of our jobs, not just the pastor's. Somebody comes into a church, hey, hey, get in line here, pal. You better get in step because we're not that kind of church. Here, everything comes off the word of God, comes off of Christ. Do we know it all? No, we don't. That's why we have to continually go back to the word of God. But he ends in verses 18 through 23 with a reminder. God is the architect. He planned it. God is the provider. He is the owner of his church. There's not a better way to do it that you can think up. Paul said there's only one foundation. 
God established that. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the scripture that he's given us. Everything comes off of that. We don't vary because well, we might get a better hearing, might build a bigger church. We've seen America is churches full of terrors. Does that mean they're all unsaved? No. But just because they got a crowd doesn't mean it's right. Now listen, just because it's big doesn't mean it's wrong either. It just takes longer. Farmer goes out and he sows. He sows faithfully. He gets a harvest. And then he clears a little more field. See, that's God's job, clearing the field. John MacArthur said years ago, I made it a prince of my life. I'm going to teach the word as clearly and deeply as I can. God can make the church as broad as he wants to. That's his business. God clears the field. He's the one preparing the soil. But you don't have to get shake and bake on everything. That's America. Oh, shake and bake, instant. How can we do this fast? Well, God's field, God's building, uses his kind of material, and it takes his time. Let no man deceive himself. If any man think among you thinks he's wise in this age, he must become foolish that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness before God. For it is written, he is, he is the one who catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the reasons of the wise, that they are useless. Somebody's always coming up with a better way to do church. People call all the time and say, you know, we have this ministry, and their ministry always costs money. We have this ministry, and we can get all of your people watching Christian videos. How about not? How about we just try to get our people in the Word of God? Is anything wrong with Christian videos? No. But I think a diet of them would make us kind of fat and lazy. What he wants us is the getting into the Word ourselves and digging out those things. There's not a better way. So, you know, if we just offer more things. For a while, there's a movement in in church buildings. Make them look like a mall. Don't let them look like a church. We are counterculture. We built this thing. Our elder says, it needs to look like a church. So when somebody walks by, they go, hey, there's a church. That's what we wanted. We don't want to be like, ooh, looks like the Mall of America. Oh, that looks really cool. wonder what that is. No, we're not writing the the architecture for everybody else. Every every other church should find out what God wants them to do when it comes to buildings. I'm I'm really excited to see what's going to happen down in St. George because down in St. George, they could have what I call is the perfect building, a roof. That's it, no walls. Isn't that cool? Down in Costa Rica, went to a church like that. It was a roof. They had fans in the roof. They had a bathroom. It had walls. That was good. No walls because you don't need it. Just protection from the sun and rain, that's all you need. Isn't that awesome? We kind of need walls in Laramie because the sun comes with the jet stream. You guys all have hair all messed up all the time. Cold. But it's a matter of going back to God. What does God want to do? We don't have to think up a better plan. He's written it down. Paul said, listen, I'm a master builder because he did exactly what God told him to do. And again, the Lord knows the reasons of the wise that they are useless. So then let no one boast in men. All those guys belong to you. If they belong to God, they belong to you. Don't think, well, my guy is John MacArthur. Oh, no, my guy's Chuck Swindoll. Oh, no, no, no. My guy's Jim Cimbala. No, no, no. All those guys, they belong to you. You don't have to get facts about it. They belong to the Lord. They belong to you. Your family. You can identify with all of them. They belong to the Lord because your family, God owns them. He says, whether Paul, Paulus, Cephas, or the world, or life, or death, or things present, things to come, they all belong to you. 
Look around. Your father owns your neighbor's house too. Not You don't have the right to go in there yet, rearrange the furniture, but he owns it all. Old Testament psalmist said, he owns a cattle on a thousand hills, the wealth in every mine. The old, the, the, we used to sing a song in youth group. It says, if my father owns it, then they're mine as well, right? He created it. He's going to redeem all things back to himself. He's going to perfect us. Then he's going to turn you loose in a new heaven and a new earth. So don't worry about what you don't have right now. Don't let the world cause you to be jealous. Well, if you don't do it this way, you're never going to have anything. Why would you want to be a missionary? Why would you want to be a pastor? Those guys don't make any money. Oh, no, I don't need to make any money. My father's wealth. He owns everything. He owns you, even if he's not a believer. He owns all things. So he said, you need to get off that thing about who has what, who's important. God's the owner of all things. And you belong to Christ. And you remember that. And the Lord loves that other Christian with their wrong doctrine, their wrong attitude, their wrong perspective, just as much as he loves you. Isn't that something? You belong to him. And Christ belongs to God. Warren Wiersbe said, the world depends on promotion, prestige, and the influence of money and important people. The church depends on prayer, the power of the Spirit, humility, sacrifice, and service. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, challenge our hearts about our own involvement. First of all, does the Lord know us? Does he, does he own us? Do we belong to him? Secondly, are we growing? Or are we just observing? Are we growing so that we can be ministering and be a part of what God is doing in our time, in our place. So, Lord, that we might hear each one of us, well done. And then we'll give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.